Good morning and welcome to All Things Jessamine. Glad to have you on this Saturday morning as we continue to learn more about people, places, and things of our county. With me in the studio today is a fellow who I don't get to see very often, but I am always glad to see him. And I guess I got to know him uh, when he first came to our community. We'll find out more about that back when we were maybe in junior high. Absolutely. And his name is Greg Ritchie. Now, Greg grew up uh, up on um, Carolyn Lane off of uh, Vince Pike here in the county. And Greg has gone on to be a uh, just a pure master in his craft. Uh, we're going to talk about some of that training and, and how it all came to be. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Doug. Good to see you. To, to start, how did the Ritchie family make it to Jessamine County? Well, you know, we lived up in Lexington, grew up out there in the sort of Garden Springs area uh, through uh, through elementary school for me. And my dad, of course, had grown up in this area. My mom came up from the Appalachians. They met at IBM back in the 50s. But around when I was getting ready to go into junior high, I guess, they decided uh, they thought they just wanted to get out of town, get away mm-hmm. from the city a little bit more. And this was sort of the place to, to gravitate yeah. towards. So it was great. So we moved out into that uh, the Vince Road area, which I, oh my God, I mean, as a young guy that just loved to be outdoors and sure. playing ball and stuff, it was just great. You know, you had an acre of land and you backed up to a farm and uh, it was when all that area was first being developed. I know it's a lot different now, but uh, um, so we lived out there for the whole junior high and high school years, six, six, seven years, I guess, until I went away to college and, and my folks have since moved back up to Lexington because now they want to be closer to it. Sure. It's the opposite, you know, sort of thing, but when great you, place to grow up. When you all first moved out there as you said i mean there weren't a whole lot of houses on that road no they were just developing all that and like i said it was probably more farms than houses sure. but they had a couple of uh sort of neighborhood tracks like i said neighborhoods but big pretty big lots that were mm-hmm. that were sort of developing at that time and uh you know we had the one school bus that came out there right. and hauled us all in right. and all that kind of stuff and uh you know it was just a great place to run around to wake up to the sound of cows and uh taking care of a big yard and uh and then getting to know some neighbors and then and it was I, I really I loved growing up out there. I wouldn't have traded I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Exactly. In the world. Yeah. Now you came. Were you Were you sixth grade? Is that what you said? Yeah, I, I had finished sixth grade up at Garden Springs. My sister yeah. was two years behind me in fourth yeah. grade. Came down here, started seventh grade okay. out at the junior high school at that time. Yeah. Well, I remember I remember you coming, and I remember knowing you at that time. But I think as far as as your career, the the. Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday when I found out that you were in town. I think we all knew that you played piano. We, mm-hmm. we all in our school kind of knew you did. But, you know, we just really didn't pay attention to it. You played <laughs> piano. Some other people did, too, mm-hmm. uh, and did other things and were in the band. And you just don't think a lot about it. Until the first time I heard you play piano, and I can remember that very distinctly, you and somebody else, Jimmy Hopwood. Mm-hmm. I will never forget the first time that I heard you guys play actually play and i think i knew about jimmy a little bit more than you because i grew up with Mm -hmm. him in scouts and things but the best i can remember it seems like it was maybe a winter concert or something that that we did with in conjunction with the band something like that could have been all i remember is is that the the gymnasium was in awe because I don't think any of us at that age, even though we knew you played piano, really realized how well you played piano. Now, that has led you into a career that still goes on. So you graduate. Well, first off, 
did you always play? At what age did you get oh, interested? Oh, in? I had started, you know, I think my parents, when I was around in fourth grade or something, said if we were to buy a piano, would you yeah. be interested in taking some lessons? And I sort of said, yeah. But I mean, you know, it was, I was a ball player and all that kind of stuff. And it sure. was, it was, I, so my first years were really mostly playing by ear. I wasn't paying a lot of attention to what the teachers were saying. Yeah. I was just, and it was a struggle to get me to practice. I liked it, but I wasn't, you know, where I didn't have nearly the same beginnings of it that most of my colleagues now had in it. It was yeah. quite different. On the other hand, looking back, I don't think I would have traded it because I kind of gradually got into it. I did play ear by ear. I kind of learned piano and not only just piano, but music in general. I kind of learned it like a language, which is what it really is, sure, you know, and sure. so I kind of don't don't I mean, as far as the reading music and all the kind of intricacies of that, I certainly came to that and, and got that and picked it up yeah. and got very disciplined about that when, when the time came. But I think getting into it like I did, I used to when I was first in college and then and, and, and later at Juilliard and stuff, I, was, I just used to think, oh, man, that's a shame I didn't have a little bit. But then I, I eventually as I developed into a professional musician, I kind of thought. Actually, that was a good background. Mm-hmm. Kind of, there's a lot of things that made me what I am as a musician, whatever that is, good or bad, but it made me what I am, I think, uh, in some ways, for sometimes for the good. When you first started that piano experience, yeah. did it, was there a certain point in time where you or maybe your parents kind of thought, oh, wow, I mean, this kid's been born with a great talent here. Did it ever pop in your head that this is amazing? I don't know that I thought much about it because it just seemed... Natural. Kind of natural to me. Yeah. As far as my parents, uh, I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask them. My parents, they're, they're the best people in the world. And I think they probably maybe thought there was something. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think they were smart enough to know. But, you know, look, we don't know. We didn't grow up as musicians. Maybe mm-hmm. we're just thinking because it's our son. Right. And I also think the, thing, the other thing they were battling is, you know, as you started to get more attention and you played in people and you're playing all over the, all the kind of stuff, I think they were always interested in me still being me. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> and they were also, they encouraged me to, they always encouraged me to do a lot of things, not necessarily just mm-hmm. to hone in on one thing all mm-hmm. the time. And, and again, I like that. That was very natural for me. Some people might say it's a weakness because I've just done so many things and always been doing so many things, even musically in my life. But I actually think that was a great thing. And certainly the other things I did down here, you know, as I said, I played ball. I was on the golf team, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't have traded that for anything in the world. I still do all those things. And and I just, again, they're, I think, part of what makes you you. And I've still been able to be unbelievably dedicated and have to make some sacrifices sometimes uh, for the art and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time... uh, not be so narrow because all that other stuff informs what you have to say as a musician sure. in, in a certain way, indirectly, sure. I think, anyway. So I'm very grateful for that. One sister, right? Yeah, Angela. Did she, does she have any of this musical talent? Does she pursue anything? Uh, no. Okay, <laughs> well, know, that's fine. I'd like to compliment her and say, oh, you know. But I don't. She, she, look, she likes music. She loves, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think gospel music and all of that sort of thing. And she was a couple of years behind me. And uh, I think she was always... Uh, in her own sisterly way. I mean, you know, brother and sister that close. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk a little. We were mostly just annoyed at each other. Sure, out. absolutely. But I think she also was yeah. very supportive of, of, of what I did and, and liked it in her own way. Before we get too to delve too much into your career, and since we've brought them up, let's talk a little bit about your family right now. Yeah. Uh, all still around, close. Uh, I know the reason you're even in town, I think, is you have a niece that got married. But tell us a little bit more about your parents, what's been going on in the last year or so, two years or whatever, and your sister, too. Well, my dad retired some years ago, really. It's been quite a few years now from IBM. But when I was in high school here uh, out in the country, I had started the last 
year or two, I guess, I'd started a, a little bit of a mowing business. You know, mm-hmm. and my dad would help me with it. He had grown up a farmer here in Fayette County, mm-hmm. so it was always in his blood to be outdoors. Mm-hmm. So even coming home from work at IBM, he, you know, he, we'd go out and we'd mow a few yards, and I was picking sure. up some extra money, knowing that college was coming up, and I was going to end up going away, and probably would need, you know. Well, my dad, who, as I said, just kind of had a hankering to be outdoors anyway, he kept that going oh, over really? the years. Yeah, and so I would come home sometimes in the summers and help him a little bit, and yeah. I still actually do because he has kept it going since then. And he's 84 now. Wow. And, 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 but it's much bigger. I mean, he's got sure. 30 places or something. He's had sure. huge amounts of places and apartment complexes and all the stuff, mostly doing himself, uh, along with the help of my brother-in-law now, yeah. who, who married in the family yeah. uh, years ago. And so it's been fascinating because he's kept that going and he's just, he's active in that way, which I kind of love. I mean, and sometimes I think, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Do you know, do you, mm-hmm. but I also think there's a part of him that that's part of what keeps him going. Sure. There's just Absolutely. an ethic about the way he's brought up and right. he just needs it's part of the meaning in his life in addition yeah. to his family so they've done uh, he's done that and my mom of course has been my mom was great and and uh, in many ways ageless in so many ways and uh, they still live up in Lexington and then of course my sister married a wonderful guy years ago and as I said my sister and I grew up you know not alike at all and I remember she called me so when I was down in Texas back in the 90s, she says, Greg, I'm getting married and and I anxious for you to meet this guy because mm-hmm. he's just like you. And I remember my first question was, <laughs> why would you ever marry anybody just like... But it turns out he is. We have a very similar yeah. personalities and yeah. love for a lot of the same things and yeah. we, we're very close, so very grateful for that. But then the great thing is they had two amazing daughters Greg. who I've gotten to know over the years, my nieces. And the oldest, uh, to say how old I am now, is, is it just got married Saturday to a wonderful guy, um, Taylor Rainwater, actually, mm-hmm. Jessamine County. They have a farm out here. And uh, prominent family around here, I think. And um, yeah, they're on their honeymoon right now in Hawaii. And I couldn't be prouder. At what point in time? Because I like I say, I remember you playing while we were in school. And, um, you know, you you caught on very well. as, As I remember all of us guys that were sitting there watching you thinking how in the world i mean listen to this thing it was talking as people say did you did you know in junior high or in high school did you know this is my life at least the playing part because i know we're going to get into more about what you're doing now right and no i wouldn't say that i knew exactly um you know i enjoyed it i did a lot of different kinds of music i did a lot of things i probably shouldn't have done that i had no business doing but the great thing about being young is you don't know any better that's and right that is great sometimes sure. and i remember specifically down here and this was a big thing and like i said when i came here when i moved when we moved here i had probably taken a year or two of piano lessons from somebody in the neighborhood that mm-hmm. was it mm-hmm. um I had learned a, a very difficult piece by the composer Rachmaninoff, I can share it that. Again, I had no business playing, but I just I heard it on a record. I loved it. I thought, right. oh, I'm going to go learn that piece. And once I figured out, you know, some of the reading music stuff, I, sure. I think I can learn sure. it. And I remember when my first year here, um, his name was uh, Charlie Nichols. Oh, Mr. Nichols, yes. the music teacher. Okay, music, so I was yes. in a music appreciation class of his. And he found out, I could see, played the piano. He said, let me hear you. So I played this, uh, yeah. this Rachmaninoff, just, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking of. And well, he loved it. And so he, the, the next day i think i played it six times because i played it not only for the class that i was in but he got me out of every other class that day to play and it yeah and that was the beginning of of sort of that relationship after that i played for for you know a lot of his choirs and stuff right. over the years right. junior high and high school right. and so that was a big deal and i was very into jazz in those days i eventually got mm-hmm. to where i played a lot of jazz and was was exploring that in groups um, uh, did a lot of church, you know, stuff, just sure. stuff. And, sure. and again, it, a lot of it wasn't the music that I ended up really devoting my life to. 
But what I got out of that in the way of, especially for a person that was basically shy, being able to be exposed to so many people and getting used to that situation Mm -hmm. was absolutely invaluable. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was Mr. Jacoby. Was that our band? Jacobus. Alan Jacobus. Yes, Alan Jacobus. Mm -hmm. He also gave me, especially in jazz, gave me a lot of opportunities. Mm -hmm. I wrote for stage band and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so, but honestly, the last year I was in high school, you know, there were some possibilities of maybe picking up some golf scholarships at some small places. Mm-hmm. And my thinking, I was also interested in the law. And I remember a career person being there the senior when I was a senior in high school and asking us, what do you guys want to do? And he was trying to see, basically show that we didn't really know what we wanted to do. Sure. And I raised my hand. He said, what do you want to do? I says, I want to be a lawyer. He says, well, what does that mean? I says, well, I'm going to go to college. I probably major in something like political science or accounting or something like that. Then I'm going to law school for this many years. Yeah. And he said, oh, well, okay. Well, what kind of law? You know, and I said, well, I think I want to go into corporate law, which I don't know that I would have wanted to go into by the time I got there. Absolutely. Anyway, I had it all down and this is really right up into the middle of the last really? year that's what i thought i would probably do and then at the last minute i kind of changed my mind i had also started to take the last year i was in school i was introduced to a professor at the university of kentucky nathaniel patch a fabulous pianist who had been there for years has passed on many years since and he was really in many ways even in just one year was one of the great influences of my life mm-hmm. because he never took me and 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 forced me to you know said oh you've got to do this he wasn't that way at all he said mm-hmm. I want you to find yourself and all that. but he did open up so many things in music for me that I think I didn't know I mean I had a lot of success I played anything I wanted it mm-hmm. seems like but all of a sudden he took things and and simplified them and showed me what was really in some of the great music sure. and I just remember it was just so and it was like a bug and a seed that was implanted in me. And even though I went away to college, I did change my mind, ended up going to University of North Texas, which was kind of the Juilliard of jazz schools, mm-hmm. thinking I wanted to write and arrange and maybe compose music promotion pictures. That bug was always in me. And so about a year or so after I was there is when I actually changed with their encouragement always because they said, hey, we will give you a lot of scholarships if you want to go into classical piano. And uh, and so that's sort of how that sort of it all evolved. And it's, yeah. it's still evolving, I think, in some, in some so, ways. So the reason you ended up in Texas, and that yeah. is our next step, mm-hmm. was yeah. because of the jazz. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. It really was. And it was a great place to be. It was a huge school which had not only had jazz, but it, it, was, the lar- it was about the largest, probably is the largest music school in the country right now as far as just number of music majors mm-hmm. and so not only had a great grad jazz program but they had a great classical program so every night and again I was I didn't have the same background that a lot of people had it wasn't I didn't have a ton of classical music mm-hmm. in the back I didn't have a ton of anything I had a lot of different things you right know? So for me, it was like a kid in a candy shop. I mean, every night I'd go to three or four concerts, sometimes a recital, classical recital, maybe an orchestra concert, then go to a club around there and listen to some of my colleagues play unbelievable jazz or, or, you Mm -hmm. know, guys that were older and more advanced. And and so it was really, it was an amazing place to find yourself. And yet I still had friends, as I said before, I was... Uh, you know, working out with the tennis team in the afternoon, <laughs> yeah, balls yeah, and stuff like yeah. that, and had friends that I in the dorm that I uh, just just loved and cherished yeah. to this day, and we played ball together and stuff like that, and uh, so it ended up being a, a great a great thing for me because that's kind of where I was in life. I if, I think if I'd have gone right to New York right then. Mm-hmm. Maybe I wasn't ready. I needed, you know, a few years of other things but in every way. You know. So you graduate down there. At that point in time, before you hit Juilliard, were you composing? 
or were you just no, playing? No, not really. I mean, I, I didn't ever compose a lot for public consumption. I mean, I've always done a lot of improvising, yeah. a lot of arranging. A lot of the stuff I've done has just been off the top of my head. I was always improvising, which, again, was a great, great thing, I think. It's not a bad thing. But, you know, when I was in uh, Texas, I, I, I remember when I changed to become a piano major down there. It was about a year later that I entered my first piano competition. And uh, I was so innocent about it because I just admired all the other people in that mm-hmm. school that happened to be in the same competition, which was a state competition. And I remember playing in the morning and I was just excited to play and to try out the music I was going to play on my jury in a month or something yeah. in this competition yeah. in Dallas. And I waited around and I had people I were cheering for. I was trying to find a ride home, really. But I had people the rest of the day I was cheering for and they announced the winners. And, of course, I was the winner. And um, everything really started to change a lot after that as far really? as pianistically. Yeah. And that became... Um, just uh, it got it didn't always get easier i think then all of a sudden that kind of exposure can make things difficult uh, and you also put a lot more pressure on yourself but by the time i got to an undergrad at the end of my undergraduate time i was firmly into classical piano and i thought that's really totally what i wanted to do with my life and i have done quite a bit of that with my life but just not not only that but then that led me to the next uh, well, that led you to Juilliard. To Juilliard, exactly, because that was sort of, I had, uh, not only because it was Juilliard, but there was a teacher there that I had played for in a master class in Texas uh, around my junior year, or something that I liked a lot. So I'd, I would have probably wanted to seek him out no matter where he was, mm-hmm. but that happened to be where he had been for all of his life. And so that, so that led me there, which was, again, a great totally different it wasn't uh, Juilliard is not a big place it's a small place but it's an incredibly select place Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you go from a place where you've kind of become kind of a a bit of a big fish and a kind of a nice pond but now you go and and you are not the big fish in a very small and elite pond and so again it 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 Everything that I've done, I had some great advice at that time because I could have just stayed in Texas and gone to graduate school there mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe switch mm-hmm. teachers. But I remember somebody telling me there that, you know, in their life, every time that they had put themselves into situations that made them a little uncomfortable was that was when they really grew. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that advice. And that's one of the things that said, you know, I just sort of said, okay, I got to get out. Of, I've got to get out of here as much as I'd love to stay, you know, and uh, best advice ever. You know, though, we all grow up. A lot of people grow up and they've heard of Juilliard Mm -hmm. and it's this magical place where where people go to (laughs) that are the best of the best in their field. Did you ever sit back? Is there any day in your life where you sit back and think, you know what? I was this little Jessamine County, Carolyn Lane kid playing ball in the field. How did I end up here? It's pretty amazing. When you think about it, to to not only end up there, and then when we finally get down the rest of your road here, some of the places that you have been, you're pretty blessed. Oh, and I, I know it's so, your yeah. talent yeah, is what's brought you that, and well, a lot of but, hard work, and a lot of good people giving you advice. Yes, exactly. but you think about it. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, it is. You're right. I think I've thought about it more since then. I think when you're in it, you're just too, things are happening so fast. And again, I was at Juilliard. It was, it was such a great place. And on the one hand, it was difficult, but on the other hand, it was inspiring every Mm day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was, there's so much new music and I'm next to, I'm I'm going to New York Philharmonic rehearsals uh, every Thursday morning with my ID. And that's where I started to get the conducting orchestra bug and, and, and seeing so many amazing concerts down the street in Carnegie Hall. I mean, it's just, it's just invaluable in that way. But there are times since then that I've looked back and even looked back, like I said, on my experiences here. And I look mm-hmm. at people like uh, Mr. Nichols and, and, and up at the church that we were in. And I look at those people that just 
they just saw something and they just thought, we're just going to give you opportunity. Right. Just throw you out there and Ex- let you do Absolutely. It. We may not have anything to tell you personally about, but, but we just, and I thought that is the most incredible thing for them to be, first of all, that unselfish mm-hmm. and that giving mm-hmm. and, and that, and that that was totally invaluable to me. And yes, to end up after that in some of the places, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. But then, you know, you sort of grow into them and that becomes your life. Sure. You know what I mean? You think this is it. And it's in the end, it's always about the music that you've chosen to devote your yourself to yeah. because everything else about classical music i mean it is a business like everything else mm-hmm. and there are ups and downs about all that mm-hmm. and there are sometimes negative things and mm-hmm. sometimes things even to this day that you just get so frustrated with but the one great thing is you walk in every day and you are usually dealing with the most ingenious art that has ever been created yeah and as long as you can sort of stay focused on that and keep some of that same I love to try to keep some of that innocence about it when I approach a new piece of music that I always had, even at those Juilliard and North Texas days. You know, right. like, like, I know you've known this piece for, you know, 30 years, but let's pretend like it's new. Yeah, yeah you're right. like Don't get complacent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's great enough for you to be able to do that. Sure. With. And so that is such a blessing. You just mentioned going to some of these concerts in Carnegie, and, and that's how it kind of gave you the bug for conducting. I remember, and I that leads us into kind of what you've done in the last, what, 30, 35 years or so. I remember you mentioned Alan Jacobus. There was a time when we were in the band, this would have been probably in when we were in eighth grade, hmm. that he allowed anybody that wanted to try to conduct a piece of music in our band. And he made it into a contest, and whoever won got to do it at one of our concerts. Well, the reason I know it was eighth grade is the guy that won was a year ahead of us, John, John Roller. Roller. I, yes. Who was amazing. Yeah, and it was, we all, you know, I tried it, and I remember some others tried it. And it's so very difficult because not only, and I, I, know, I played, uh, well, trumpet, baritone, sousaphone, tuba, but I didn't know much about clarinet and the sax and the trombone and all that i knew what they were and I knew what they mm-hmm, sounded like mm-hmm. but to stand in front of this sheet music that had all of those parts listed and try to keep them in order mm-hmm. and these were at that time folks difficult for us but somewhat simple songs for anybody else but to see john who who really knew what he was doing oh he was always on that track oh my gosh. I loved that compared yeah. to somebody like me that was just waving their hands hoping they were getting it right <laughs> And the reason I bring up that story is because I learned even then how hard that job is. When you grew up learning this piano, and then when you finally got the conductor, the end of the job or the business, you don't just know piano. You have to know all of those other instruments, not necessarily how to play them, but you got to know what they do, how they sound. You have to know, folks, if you, ever, if you have never in your life looked at a piece of music on a sheet... Sometimes Google Beethoven's Fifth. Just try to find the sheet music. I'm just mm-hmm. pulling one out of the ear. Mm-hmm. Look at that, and and it is a foreign language. You mentioned it was a mm-hmm. language. It truly is. Mm-hmm. To try to keep all of that straight, because you're not just keeping straight how the trumpet should sound. You're keeping straight how the violin should sound, along right. with the trumpets, yeah. with the timpani, with the clarinets, the flutes, the oboes, and all that. Mm-hmm. So watching these concerts is when you thought, I'd like to do that. Is that what really bit you there? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there was a physically there was always a little bit of a knack for it. But as you're sort of describing, that's not the only thing that 
conducting is about. Sure. In fact, there have been some amazing legendary conductors that physically weren't, they were a bit awkward, Yeah. but they had all the other stuff and they had such a strong will and could somehow, the bottom line is, can you find a way to communicate this to an orchestra? And yeah. And figure out some way with your body or otherwise, then, then it's fine if you have the right group. But I mean, I think for me, it wasn't so much seeing a conductor. I mean, it might've been a little bit, but it was really, first of all, the repertoire itself. Also, the instrument of the orchestra itself. I mean, as a pianist, there's so many things you can do. It's a great instrument, Mm -hmm. but with an orchestra, that's magnified color-wise in so many ways. Because what you're talking about is combining instruments Mm -hmm. and making a few instruments sound like one different instrument when Mm -hmm. you combine them or something Mm -hmm. like that. So it's, it's really endless, the possibilities. And between that and the repertoire... And then, of course, a lot of my career, most of my career has really been in opera conducting. And when I was an undergraduate, I found a way I could make money by playing for singers in their voice lessons. So I learned a ton of operatic repertoire that way from training singers. And I I always had a very knack for working with singers and playing for singers and understanding how they breathe and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when I got into conducting, my first opportunities were naturally opera, which is a great thing because it's the hardest thing to do. It's much harder logistically than any other kind of conducting in many ways. Also involves a lot of study of languages and all this kind of stuff. But um, then I sort of got stuck in it, and it's a little bit hard in this country. Now I'm, try- I'm actually starting this now to do more symphony again, which is really what I'd like to just um, focus on most of the time and, and do a little bit less opera. Uh, but it was really the repertoire, all of it, even even in opera, which sometimes I think is a better idea than a reality, because getting it right is something that you feel like maybe happens one out of 150 times. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? At least for what mm-hmm. you're trying to get. Mm-hmm. It's worth it, but you know, mm-hmm. but it's harder to control. But it's really in the end, as I said before, it, it's it's the repertoire. You just thought, I want to be, I have ideas, I have feelings, I have connections with that repertoire, mm-hmm. and I want to you know, I want to try to realize it. Well, that being said, let's talk about some of the places you've been. Uh, where was your first, well, or just mention some of the places. You said now you're in Palm Beach, is that right? I'm pretty much based in uh, Palm, the Palm Beach, Florida area. Yeah. I, I went there uh, about 11 or 12 years ago. Originally, I mean, I was starting to get in, uh, you know, I had been conducting a little bit and I was you know, still playing a little bit, but I... Uh, and I was starting to get into opera, um, working on opera staffs and places, coaching and playing rehearsals, learning repertoire. And I went there. Uh, they had a sort of through a girlfriend at the time who was who was studying with a teacher down there. And um, I met an incredible lady down there named Virginia Ziani, who is 94 right now and is probably one of the five or six greatest opera singers of the 20th century, I think. Mm-hmm. And she directed me to Palm Beach Opera and says, you know, I think there's a chorus master opening here, which is something, again, one of those things, everything I've said I would never do in my life, I've now done. You know, <laughs> oh, I'll never do that. <laughs> well, that was on that list. <laughs> and sure enough, she convinced me to, to talk to him and to take this, which was, again, I just used to look at the other chorus masters I knew. I thought, what a thankless job. You work hard, you repair this course, some other conductor comes in and probably mm-hmm. ruins it for you, you know. <laughs> like, anyway. But she said, look, as a conductor, it's a, it's a good, it's a yeah. good way in, yeah. sort of, you know what yeah. I mean? And so, uh, so I ended up there originally as that. Now I'm the associate conductor there, and things have you know changed a lot. Still do the work, work with the course a lot, but uh, um, so that's Callahan. Sort of, sort of how I ended up in Palm Beach, which has become my base for a few years. It wasn't. I was just there for a few months in the winter, mm-hmm. and I would work other places. I remember about three years into it though, and thinking that I would never want to live in South Florida. But then I remember, gosh, I was working, I think, in Wexford, Ireland for a few years in one fall. 
was in October, which is a lovely, lovely place. I loved it. I mean, but on the other hand, you're on the North Sea and it's blustery and cold. Right, and I, right. I remember flying back to Palm Beach and the next morning I'm out there in my sandals yeah. and city place. Anyway, and that's when it sort of hit me. I thought, yeah. This I, is I a be good here. place. Maybe I could be here. And so I've been there ever since then. And I don't know how long. I mean, maybe for some it's reason. It's a nice I'll, place to visit, um, but I wouldn't want to But it there. really is. Yeah. And, and again, for a person who grew up as a golfer and now yeah, loves right. to surf fish, it's like, well, all the other things are good. Exactly. Too. Yeah, exactly. I found uh, online a little bit of your bio from the Palm Beach Opera oh website. Goodness. And reading down through here, Greg, if you allow me just a few moments uh, to mention some of this that you have done. You you mentioned Wexford uh, Opera, Palm Beach, uh, Opera Theater of St. Louis, mm-hmm. uh, conducted productions of <laughs> a lot of these I can't pronounce. I can say the turn of the screw and I can say champion, but some of these <laughs> others, I mean, I, I can't pronounce them, folks. Uh, Gulf Shore Opera with Madam Butterfly, Palm Beach. Uh, let's see. Let me go on here central city opera dallas opera des moines metro opera virginia sarasota you've been all over everywhere and this is one of those things i would assume it's not just because you see that there's an opening and apply your your ability precedes you i would assume that a lot of these places are people who call and say we want you here yeah, it's something like that. It definitely is not a, and I think this is frustrating for people outside of this. I know my parents and I used to talk about this years ago because I don't think that they understood as a freelance musician that it's not necessarily about just, well, take your resume, fill out an application. Right. It just doesn't yeah, work that right. way. I mean, I have done, you know, we, we all did a lot of that. That's one of the things I'm terrible about. I have colleagues that are, because so much of all music and entertainment is about self-promotion and I am the worst self-promoter ever. <laughs> but I have done that thing, you know, over years where you'll just flood the market mm-hmm. with resumes and, mm-hmm. you know, cover letters and mm-hmm. interested. And I've yet to ever, ever, ever get a job of any sort in music like that. It's yeah. always been, you know, word of mouth or somebody heard you there or sure. you worked with a director on a production here and then she went and said, Hey, you, you know, some, something like that. Performance it really sure. is always that way. And you have to, and that's difficult because you have to be very patient with it. And the hard thing about it is, you know, you, you, and it's the same way for a lot of opera singers, you know, they just, they exist during every gig trying to get the next gig, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's what you have to guard against. Yeah. Try to be in the moment and enjoy this and don't worry about, right. is somebody going to like this well enough to hire me somebody else yeah. or someplace else? It's very difficult like that, you know. As we end our, our time here, I want to ask you three highlight questions. Mm. Highlight of your career so far. Oh, wow. You totally got me uh, because they're just there are so many I can certainly think of personal moments that would be very odd that you wouldn't think they'd be a highlight of a career but just where there was some sort of connection you know that happened between you and some other musicians and a, and a particular piece of music uh, mm-hmm. uh, that were highlights but I think um, you know I've done some work in Europe and uh, for five summers I was conductor at a festival in Italy the Amalfi Coast Festival and just the atmosphere there and the attitude of Italians toward their opera mm-hmm. uh, in itself is a highlight. You know, no concert, nothing starts on time in Italy and nothing is air conditioned. And so <laughs> you would have these concerts that were slated, first of all, to start at nine o'clock at night, which is kind of late for a yeah. two and a half hour opera or something like that. Yeah. But you would go there, you know, and, and you would do maybe a sound check. And then somewhere around 840, somebody would come and say, Maestro, we'd like to take you to dinner now. And I'm thinking, oh, really? gosh, really? <laughs> well, I thought we were. Oh, we got plenty of time. 
well, okay, so you know, you go somewhere and you come back, and people have been sitting there forever, you waiting know, since eight thirty. Yeah, and you, you so you go to dinner, you come back at nine thirty, nine forty, and they're ready to start, and those people are still there. <laughs> Off you go to a concert, you do this concert, twelve thirty, it ends. People are happy, they're thrilled. The mayor comes up, said, "Now we'd like to take you to another dinner." Let's oh my gosh! So you go, and they would open up some place in town at two o'clock in the morning, and to you'd be there you. till four thirty, eating the greatest food ever, which somehow you can eat anything in Italy, and you feel better. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it's amazing. just you know. So, you know, those those kind of experiences sure. uh, were incredible. Sure. But, you know, I can also think of, and it's hard to describe these personally, just times again when you'll be sometimes even working with some young people uh, that are that have never done, you know, professional and school are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. And there are advantages to both. Professionally, obviously, you're dealing with players who are as experienced as you are. The negativity about that is, is they decide whether you're any good in about a minute. And if they don't, if you fall on the wrong side of that, right. you're in trouble. Right. So you're really getting over the psychological stuff is tough even though the potential is great. But on the other hand, sometimes with younger people, it's their first experience with some of the great masterpieces. Sure. And I've had some experiences there where you'll just be in the first rehearsal working with a group through a, a new opera that they've never seen, but mm-hmm. you know very well. Mm-hmm. And trying to take them through that section by section, what's mm-hmm. happening, what this music is about, what that means, and just seeing how they respond to it mm-hmm. and how they're... Um, how their eyes light up and they just get involved in a way and they may make mistakes, but they're, they're enthusiastic sure, mistakes, right. you know? And so I've had some experiences like that where you'll just think, wow, this moment right here is just uh, the, the amount of gratitude that you feel for what you do and what your experience is incredible. And I've, I've come to feel as I get older that when you feel a true state of gratitude is when you're really the happiest. Yeah. Uh, and I've certainly had a lot of those moments between well, the repertoire and the people. You're feeling like a lot of people felt with you. Oh, As you grew up too, and and saw you and led you, and and you mentioned Charlie and uh, different ones, but second highlight highlight of of your time growing up here in our county, since this show is about Jasmine County. Oh, I just I remember I have so many great memories, and every time I come back here, and especially if I'm out in this part of the. Uh, part of the woods, I, I you, you immediately go back to there. Like I said, just growing up, I loved growing up with my friends and just the life we had. And again, for me, it was not. I mean, music was there, but it was just another one of the toys I was playing with sure. in my life, you sure. know. And having the basketball goal out above your garage and spending endless hours out there, yeah. you know, scraping the ice off and having neighborhood games, and then all this stuff at school. I mean, you know, coming to a new school in junior high and meeting all of you guys. Mm-hmm. Was an, And at first, you know, when you're a young person, that's a scary experience. Sure. But wow, it's amazing, even for a shy guy like me, how fast everything changed. Yeah. And, of course, the piano helped and the exposure. Right. But it right. wasn't just that. I mean, you know, you and I and, 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 and Ricky and, and the Whitworths and all right. that. Uh, right. Just really invaluable times that we just had. I remember uh, when we were all uh, going out in basketball practice and stuff. And I think it was Ricky Brummett and the two Whitworth twins. We would drive around in Ricky's convertible. Uh, Blasting earth, wind, and fire all the time around the county. <laughs> I'll never forget that, you know, and just laughing at the fact that we like this music sure. so much. You sure. know what I mean? And so, um, so a lot of highlights there, and also a lot of adults around here. Like I said, not only musically, but other teachers right. I had and stuff, right. people that were involved in the county, um, school superintendents that took me to Frankfurt to play for the governor and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, um, just things like that. And the land and the countryside. I'll never get that out of my blood. Except Italy, maybe, where they feed you at four. It's also very good countryside and very, yeah, that Mediterranean thing is very nice as well. So we've talked about your career. We've talked about your growing up. Let's just get real general. Highlight of Greg Ritchie's life. You and I both, if you haven't already, turned 57 this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and hopefully we've got a long time to go. Crossing our fingers. But uh, looking back, what's the most satisfying thing you think that has happened to you? Hmm. That's that's. There's so many things, you know, especially when you're in a profession where you're like your profession is not just what you do to make money. Mm-hmm. So some mm-hmm. of the things I've described mm-hmm. certainly bleed into that. Um, but you know, I think as you get older and you get perspective, I as I've maybe sort of expressed, I think growing up in a place like this and having the parents I had. Um, those in a way are highlights of my life. And, you know, we all go through ups and downs with our families over mm-hmm. the years, you know, and certainly I do something that's totally different than anything they had done growing up. And I'm not sure that they completely understand what I do now because I do so much of it in other places. They don't sure. really get the right. chance. I know if they were around, they'd be there all the time, but it's right. just not logistically always possible. Um, but I think as you get older and you turn around and especially having so many colleagues that have had different experiences in their life, mm-hmm. family wise over the years, um, you know, that in itself is a highlight. But I can also think of musical highlights, um, whether it's just some composer I revere and being in Vienna and finding his very obscure grave up in the hills overlooking town somewhere wow. with a lot of other famous people in this small cemetery that I happen to know historically, yeah. but yeah. maybe a lot of other people didn't. Yeah. And just there be moments and seeing that that grave, this one composer was Gustav Mahler, who died in 1910. And I remember a friend had told me how to find his grave, and I was doing something in Vienna. And and so on a Sunday with a friend of mine who was there, we said, let's go up the Grinzing mm-hmm. and find Mahler's mm-hmm. grave. So we went up there and found it. And the beauty of it was, like I said, he died in 1910. This is like in 2006, maybe almost 100 years. You get to that grave and there were fresh flowers on that grave. Yeah, wow. There were people, and I ended up doing the same, and there were notes, and there were people who, a hundred years later, were still so touched by what this man had left right, us right. that they would leave flowers on his grave. Then. Yeah. And that's when it hit me like, wow, how special this whole thing about connections and connections even over time with people that you never mm-hmm. knew. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a real miraculous thing and, and, and mm-hmm. it's a source for a lot of gratitude in addition to the connections that you still have and with your, with your family. We have talked over the, the course of this program for the last three and a half years or so that about that very subject. And it's referred to a lot as the ripple effect because, and I talk to uh, teachers especially, but everybody, one of the things that I have tried to, to impress upon my children is, is that you never know today who is looking at something you're doing and how it will affect somebody 10 years, sure. 20 years, 50 years from now. Absolutely. Uh, and it's some people, as you mentioned with this gentleman, it's 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 not for you to know that there could be some young person today who is seeing you conduct that in 25, 30 years is thinking, boy, I remember that guy and boy, he impressed me. And, mm-hmm. and you may never know about it. Absolutely. And it happens with all of us. Yes. It doesn't matter what status you are. It doesn't matter what occupation you are. Uh, one thing I was thinking of uh, earlier, uh, we were in the class of 1980 at Justman County High. And if I look back at some of those people, we did pretty good. You know, we've had a mm-hmm. wide variety of occupations. Patients, whether it be conductor, whether it be a, uh, we've got a neurosurgeon, whether it <laughs> be a host. radio show host <laughs> with a politician 
combination, uh, a banker. I, I look yeah. school teachers. I look at all these people who, in their own field, have done exceptionally well. Some have had the opportunity to be more exposed to people than others. Yeah. You know, your exposure has been worldwide. Mine mainly has been right here in our county. Yeah. Uh, other people's that same way, but we've all done well, and hopefully. We've all touched somebody that will down the road benefit them in some way. Mm-hmm. You're one of those guys, as is a lot of my classmates, Greg, where whenever I see your picture or hear your name, I'm proud to say I knew him. I grew up with that guy. <laughs> and as you said a while ago, when you walk in that door and we hadn't seen each other, and we figured, what, eight or nine years? It's, it's like the eight or nine years didn't even exist. Yeah, it exactly. just was yesterday. And that, folks, is, uh, I think, what friendship is truly all about. Regardless of yep. where you go in this world, as far as I'm concerned, Greg Ritchie and I are friends. Absolutely. And we'll always be. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming in and taking time. I know you are a appreciate busy, busy me. guy uh, headed great. back to Florida tomorrow or something. I will head back this week. I yeah. don't have anything for a couple of months. And, yeah. uh, you know, while I'll miss the paychecks, I sort of need, <laughs> I need I've been so busy that I need I need a little bit of time to sure. decompress and to get ready for the things that are coming up after yeah. that. So it'll be good. Well, be sure to, to wish your mom and dad a I, hello for me. Absolutely. I haven't talked to them in quite. In fact, I think the last time I did talk to them, we were trying to run you down for for a class reunion maybe. oh probably yeah but uh, be sure to wish them well and I your sister too and congratulations I on your niece's will. wedding what's what's coming up next for greg Ritchie? well as i said i don't have a lot for the next few months and then i have a couple of opera projects uh and then a lot of stuff in florida starting next year i'm the associate conductor at palm beach opera i'm the conductor at gulf shore opera both of those have seasons that run concurrently uh, and the Gulf Shore is in Naples, and so it's a little ways away. Um, and I've also taken a new, I'm the, now the conductor of the Palm Beach Atlantic Symphony, which is a new symphony orchestra gig, which will involve about four or five concerts throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And I've got a plan and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but I'm very excited about it. It's a young orchestra, but uh, but that. And then, um, like I said, not much. And then probably next summer, uh, hopefully back, maybe back to Europe a little bit more. I miss I miss being back there for a month or two every now and then because it's, yeah. it's, it's a little bit of a shot in the arm about uh, sure. some things culturally great yeah thanks a lot good luck in your rest of your career we appreciate Best you to you doug thanks and you know one of these days you get bored you can always move back here and hey. we'll find ricky brummett's somehow car and ride around i always to said if i ever won fire. the lottery i'd buy one of these amazing horse farms around here and i'd be back here in a second because i love the land and the people that's right here. thanks great thank you doug well, my thanks to my friend Greg for coming in and talking to us and telling us all about his life and what Jessamine County means to him. Appreciate you coming in as well. We'll do it again next Saturday morning at 11. Don't forget, I'm here every weekday from 6 until 8 to get you up and going on Jess FM 105.9.